Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA, and thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. As always, we appreciate it. Hope you had a great holiday weekend. And here we go. We've got a lot to talk about weather very much in the news Hot and dry in a lot of places. Other places looking to get some more rain this week. We'll talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson about the week ahead's weather and a look uh, deep into this month of July, what he sees. We'll talk markets. They're reacting to weather. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net will join us. And USDA pledging to conduct a top-to-bottom review of product of the USA meat labels. We'll talk with Danielle Beck with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association for reaction to that move. All that coming up on today's program, but let's start it off, set the tone for the week with uh, the news that we should be watching. Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Hope you had a good holiday. Certainly did, Mike. Uh, It was great to spend so much time with family again and get caught up with folks in person. Yeah, really was. Uh, But for those in the biofuels industry, Uh, their minds had to be over this holiday break, a couple of court rulings that really have gone against them, the latest being an appeals court striking down the E-15 waiver, allowing year-round sales of E-15. Yes, it's just another blow after uh, having a previous case that also nicked them all on the chin. So, you know, here we had the Trump administration working to expand the availability of higher blends of biofuels and allow that... um, summertime sales of 15%, but this is a 3-0 decision by a panel of federal judges for the D.C. Circuit Court, and they ruled that the Texan underlying law just was not sufficient to support that waiver. So we're back again to the drawing board. There's a little bit of time here in the interim, I think, for the industry to still keep selling 15%, but certainly another significant blow. Yeah, it's uh, been a tough couple of weeks uh, for the biofuels industry. We'll have Jeff Cooper on with us tomorrow from the Renewable Fuels Association to talk more about that. Meanwhile, efforts still underway to get an infrastructure package through, and it looks like maybe they've made a little progress. There's a a kind of a bipartisan group in Congress that uh, may help swing this. There is still bipartisan effort to make sure that we are going to get at least an infrastructure package that most of your listeners would consider to be infrastructure, that is roads, bridges, waterways, all those things that uh, we know we really need. Uh, Senate Ag Committee Chairman uh, Debbie Stabenow was in Michigan with President Biden over the holiday weekend. She talked about the importance of broadband up in Cherry Country. Um, where she couldn't get a full cell service. You know, it's just all these basic things that we so uh, badly need out in rural America that are in this initial package. Uh, Of course, there's a lot of interest in doing a second package that would be done through budget reconciliation and would not need a bipartisan vote. But um, it looks like this one is still at least in the hopper and making some progress, so we'll just have to stay tuned and see how they can keep that advancing. Yeah, we're past the 4th of July now. All these things I keep talking about and talking about, uh, we're getting to the point where they need to take some action one way or another. We'll see what happens. 
Well, absolutely. You know, they'll be on August recess before you know it. And then we'll have this big gap of nothing getting done. They'll come back and, and then be thinking even more about the midterm election the following year. So it just, it's not mm-hmm. going to get better from here out if they don't make some good progress in July. We'll be talking with uh, Bryce Anderson in our next segment about the weather. That is certainly a, a key topic for everyone, of course. you got now a, a hurricane and the impacts of that. We know about uh, a drought in the Dakotas and the uh, upper Midwest. But certainly out west, this has been an ongoing issue, heat and dry conditions. Uh, I know that uh, your staff, uh, your AgriPulse is very active now in the, uh, in the west, and uh, you do a lot of work out there. What are you seeing? What are you hearing in your reporting out there? So, you know, we already went through a massive drought in California just a couple of years ago, and this one came back faster than many remember any of the previous ones. There was not enough snowmelt to really refill some of the aquifers, and the storage uh, has not been rebuilt in many areas for decades. So what we're hearing from so many growers across California that are in these areas that are short on water is that they are just cutting back. They are making big changes of either fallowing fields or they're ripping up crops, even some almond trees that are being ripped up because they want to save what they can with the available water. So there's cutbacks and allocations. There's also the uh, SIGMA, the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, that is placing new barriers to folks to be able to capture water. So uh, it's, it's really feeling from the growers that we're talking to that this one is worse than the last time around. And then that's just the folks who are trying to grow crops and, and fruits and, and nuts. We also have ranchers who are culling their herds, or a hard time getting hay. Uh, it, it's just all around a really tough situation for anybody that's in a drought-hit uh, area. And this is not new. The debate over water retention and storage to get through times like this. This has been a a hot political debate in that state of California for some time. It really has. And and that's where some growers are just saying, listen, we know that there is uh, climate change that is restricting the amount of rainfall, but also in some years there's even higher amounts of rainfall. So why aren't we capturing it and building more storage facilities? And we're going to be talking about all this July 12th, Mike. We've got a big policy summit in Sacramento. It'll be one of the first in-person events for a long time for a lot of people. And we've got um, folks like economists from Bank, Roland Famasi, giving us that big-picture look of what it's going to mean for production in our nation's largest agricultural state. And then growers who are talking about how they're trying to innovate, how they're trying to work their way through not only water insecurity, but labor shortages and a high regulatory environment. And so we're just going to have a chance to talk about all of that on what can be done. And I think, you know, for most people across the country, they're watching California because they see what happens there tends to end up in many other parts of the country. Yeah, your summit next week, July 12th, a lot of good information. And, of course, Prop 12 is a big issue there, too, and for the rest of the country. Well, again, that's another situation where they, they you know, pass a law in California that bites everybody who's in animal mm-hmm. production in the rest of the country because they now have to fit the standards that are set by California. Now, the court uh, did not uh, allow a challenge recently, but there's one more to go on that in the Supreme Court. 
that they hope will take up and and strike down the law. But so far, it's been unable to stand and, and really forcing producers uh, that are uh, in the livestock industry to make big changes and big investments in their operations if they want to sell in the state of California. Yeah, we see it often. Things that happen in California seem to have a ripple effect across the rest of the country. All right, Sarah, thank you. Good to talk with you. That's (laughs) right. All right, AgriPulse Communications, uh, again, they uh, they are very active out west with their branch out there and keeping a close watch on those stories. Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. We talk weather next with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Troy Bradenkamp, Senior Vice President, Government and Public Affairs for the Renewable Fuels Association. First of all, how do you break down this ruling and pluses, minuses from a biofuels perspective? What's your analysis? We're obviously disappointed. Uh, You know, the Supreme Court sided against us on, I guess, what we would call a technical issue, the definition of extension. You know, so now it means that a small uh, refinery can apply for an exemption at any time. I think it's important to point out, though, that that it is going to be, there's going to be a more stringent threshold to grant those exemptions moving forward as the other two parts of that Tenth Circuit decision were not challenged by the Supreme Court. So, so there are two very good parts still in place, and we plan to make sure the EPA sticks to those. Um, and, and so we were disappointed and a little bit surprised. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front-row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. 54. So basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going. <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, he tries to retire, but we just won't let him. We bring back DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, how are you? I'm doing well, Mike. Good to talk to you. Yeah, good to have you back with us uh, this week. Let's talk about weather across the country. Um, we know some places are still in need of some rain. There's some rain in, in spots across the country. Who gets it this week? Well, uh, during the next seven days, a lot of dry areas are in line to uh, get at least a, a temporary reprieve from uh, you know this uh, real dry pattern because uh, you know we're looking at uh, rainfall totals of one and a half to possibly three plus inches from uh, Interstate 74 uh, from Central Illinois southeast uh, toward Indianapolis and Dayton, Ohio, north all the way to the Great Lakes and then west and northwest to a U.S. Highway 81 in the eastern Dakotas and then south into east-central Nebraska. And, you know, you're talking, like here about the eastern Dakotas, Minnesota, Iowa, northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin, into uh, northern Indiana and Michigan, areas that have been dry and have been kind of mixed, uh, missed uh, by the rainfall that we've seen recently. Uh, those are, are areas that are in line to get this uh, round of precip over the next seven days. So, like I say, it would be at least a temporary uh, reprieve uh, from the dry situation. And, of course, you know, right now we're talking about pollinating corn and uh, soybeans going into the blooming and uh, pod setting stages. So it certainly is uh, very timely uh, if it all verifies. Yeah, much needed, and that would be very welcome. Um so what about out west? We were just talking in our last segment about uh, how dry it is out in California. Any relief for those folks? Unfortunately not. And I mean, uh, you know, this western uh, heat and dry and uh, drought is, is just uh, something else. Uh, you've had temperatures uh, in interior Washington State reaching 114, 115, and, uh, you know, hottest uh, temperatures on record. Uh, California has uh, ground that's actually sinking because uh, the water table is uh, getting uh, drawn down so far. Uh, during the next week, uh, two weeks actually, high pressure ridging, you know, that keeps things very hot and dry, is just pretty much on track to, to uh, just uh, make camp, settle in, however you want to describe it, west of the Rockies, uh, from Arizona north to about Reno, Nevada. And um, I don't see anything uh, other than maybe a little bit of a temperature break in the northwest, but over the, uh, the uh, far west in Great Basin, California, into Nevada, uh, the, the real hot and dry conditions pretty much stay in effect. We may see a few showers in the northwest, but nothing that really changes, you know, this uh, just a, extremely dry summer that they've got. It's... Uh, it is one for the books, and we know that there's been all sorts of uh, crop damage and crop loss because of it. Let's go to the other side of the country on the East Coast. How widespread of an impact will Tropical Storm Elsa have? 
You know, I don't think Elsa's going to be that big of a rainmaker in the southeast. And right now the southeast is getting along pretty well uh, when it comes to uh, soil moisture. But uh, Elsa is moving uh, kind of uh, north out of uh, Cuba toward the Florida Keys today and then tracking toward the Gulf Coast, uh, toward Tampa Bay, and then uh, north into the, uh, you know, kind of toward Tallahassee. Uh, Then scheduled to uh, angle... Uh, across North Florida, South Georgia, toward the uh, South Atlantic coast during the next few days. There could be some pretty heavy rainfall uh, approaching six inches in southeastern Georgia and part of northern Florida. But it doesn't look like Elsa's going to take a track that really moves the storm, you know, farther inland into more of the uh, central part of the southeastern U.S. So I think we're going to see fairly... Uh, you know, fairly localized or area coverage uh, with rainfall out of uh, Elsa and along with that, you know, the tropical force winds. But it looks like it's going to be a pretty uh, short uh, feature uh, in terms of its um, presence uh, in the actual contiguous uh, U.S. uh, during its lifespan. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, Bryce, you talked about uh, those areas that could get some rain this week. What about temperatures this week? I think that's going to be a real benefit, uh, frankly, Mike, because temps are going to finally break uh, from what's been a real hot spell uh, during the last uh, week, week and a half. And I, I know that it's not as hot as it has been in the western United States, but, I mean, still, we've had, you know, heat advisories and heat bulletins uh, in effect, uh, in the northern plains and much of the Midwest over the last week or so. But these temperatures are going to back off uh, even to uh, some uh, areas, like in the southern plains and then through West Texas, actually having below normal temperatures uh, during the next uh, 7 to 10 days. Uh, that doesn't mean it's going to be cool, but it, it uh, is going to be uh, seasonal or a little bit um below average in in those sections of the country. And then over much of the Midwest and the Northern Plains, we're going to see temperatures that are seasonal, basically a lot of daytime highs in the 80s to maybe just touching 90, as opposed to the upper 80s into the mid-90s, like so many areas have had. So that is going to be a real benefit as well. It does mean that rainfall that occurs, perhaps, is going to Uh, be able to offer moisture for a little bit longer period than just uh, immediately evaporate or get drawn up by plants. Um, Still, though, I mean, we're we're in a situation, we all know that, where where we are going to need uh, consistent uh, rainfall on about an every 10-day basis over the next uh, balance of the growing season, actually, because subsoil is so short. I do want to mention that in parts of the northern plains, conditions are the driest in more than 20 years going back to 2000 so that's you know the kind of uh, history you know that we're seeing in terms of uh, how dry things have been yeah they need timely rains just to get by uh what about your longer range forecast the latter half of july you know the the last part of july uh, really doesn't offer much of a pattern change um this uh you know this brief spell that we're getting is certainly useful it certainly is welcome but um, it doesn't um, uh, indicate that uh, things are just going to be settling in uh, for the balance of the uh, growing season 
for rainfall to continue in the drier areas. And I think we're setting up, Mike, for a real, um, a, a real contrast in terms of rainfall during the balance of the season uh, with uh, rains from, I would say, about uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, northeast uh, toward uh, central Michigan, uh, take that line and then go east of there. You're looking at areas that have uh, a lot better chance for consistent rainfall through the balance of the growing season, basically the eastern corn belt. But then from that line west and north, uh, still with uh, lesser amounts of precipitation, uh, likelihood uh, higher for uh, some more heat wave activity uh, to form, and uh, still a lot more concern over the western corn belt as we go through the rest of this uh, 2021 growing season. Yeah, just a lot of folks just trying to get by, just hanging on oh, yeah. rain to rain, right? Yeah, that, that's where we are. And, and of course, uh, there's just no subsoil moisture reserve to draw on at all. Um, you know, last year there was some benefit uh, from, uh, you know, very substantial subsoil moisture, at least through the first half of uh, the growing season a year ago. But this year, all of that has been, uh, you know, pretty well drawn, uh, drawn down. And, uh, you know, we went through uh, the fall and the winter with uh, a lot of dry conditions in a lot of areas. And so there just isn't that reserve available at all. And uh, it really is a, a, uh, a just-in-time uh, rainfall uh, hope uh, that uh, a lot of us uh, are in, in the position of needing uh, in order to uh, bring crops along. And then you have those isolated areas that got flooded and had to replant again. So you really got a mixed bag, which uh, makes the uh, total production numbers, uh, brings them into question for this year. Well, I think it really does. And, and uh, obviously we're seeing a lot of volatility in the market uh, during the past uh, several weeks. But, um, you know, by no means is the uh, total story uh, written for the balance of this year. Uh, there is no question that there's, uh, still a lot of uh, a lot of real uh, uncertainty about how things are going to play out. And then you add in there, Mike, uh, confirmation of freeze damage in Brazil uh, from uh, the worst cold wave in 20 years last week. That hurt their corn crop even more. Yeah, well, a lot of challenges, a lot of production challenges for sure. Good to have you back, Bryce. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. Great to talk to you. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson will talk markets next with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? 
The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. You are listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Rain is expected in the forecast for the Northwest Corn Belt. This may change the outlook as we come off a holiday and a shortened trading week. This fall, corn supplies in the bin and field are expected to total over 16 billion bushels, slightly more than last year. Soybean supplies are expected to be about 100 million bushels smaller, but is still expected to exceed 4.5 billion bushels. We are seeing sharply lower futures this morning across the grain and oilseed sector. September corn trading 40 cents lower at 552 the December contract down 40 at 539 and three quarters for soybeans the August contract down 74 and a quarter of a cent at 1359 the September contract down 75 at 1333 for wheat Chicago wheat September down 31 and a fraction at 621 and a half cent Kansas City wheat September down 33 and a half cent at 586 Minneapolis spring wheat September down 33 at 597 the September contract down 53 at 7.85 and a half cent. Live cattle futures did not do much last week as far as price movement, but there was volatility, but not much to show for it in the end. Cash cattle trade was light for the week. Packers were not aggressive into the holiday, but they now need to look ahead to expected future demand. On the board of trade this morning, it's a mixed bag. August live cattle trading 15 cents higher at 122.15. The October contract down 15 at 127.92. For feeders, the August contract up $2.00 and 50 cents at 159.52 the September contract up 232 at 161.75 in lean hogs the August contract a dollar 45 higher at 101.67 October up five cents at 84.75 in the outside markets the Dow is down 237 points the Nasdaq composite up 18 the S&P 500 down 17 the U.S. dollar index is trending higher you're listening to AOA I'm Kirsten Rawl I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk markets with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Matt, thanks for joining us. All right, we're past the 4th of July, critical uh, uh, crop time as we're into pollination. All eyes on the weather forecast. Is this a totally weather market now or predominantly a weather market? 
you know, we've quantified, for instance, you know, what planted acreage is going to be for corn and soybeans. Obviously, those were friendly numbers, and uh, we traded that way last week. Then you come in here over the weekend, the three-day weekend, and, you know, I, I believe the Dakotas and Minnesota, at least parts, had some rain, but the forecast is that they're going to get some relief here. And so, you know, with that being the case, it sure looks to me like a lot of folks in and around the corn market are looking at it as, uh, uh, you know, maybe a, a deal where national yield could be much better than maybe what they thought going into the long weekend. Well, you know, I understand that, but you got so much of an area of the country that's very, very dry. These rains would help, but they sure don't make up for the deficit that they're facing. It's hard to, it's, I don't know, to me, it just seems hard to think we've uh, overcome everything because we get a few rains this week. It's going to take more. Oh, absolutely. I mean, whenever you don't have any subsoil moisture, you know, you probably need a couple inches of rain this week. You need another inch of rain next week and probably every week, especially, you know, on, I would say, uh, on some of the ground that, you know, might not be prime. And, and, and in some of the areas, I mean, certainly you're going to have that. Heck, you've got that where you live and where I live. But uh, the bottom line for this market is that, you know, you come in and you have calls for lower trade, you know, 15 to 20 lower on corn. And I think it just got everyone spooked. The algorithms took over, and all of a sudden you're down 40 within less than a minute of trading. And so, uh, you know, I'm not sure we'll stay here all day, you know, but at the same time, uh, there's certainly a, a lot of angst as to being long anywhere uh, close to $6, you know, whenever you're looking at what is probably going to be respectable. You know, there's so many other things to trade this year, though. And so I think that you're going to find support because it's pretty tough to kill a market whenever your carryout is, is so razor thin. Right. you you got tight stocks. And then the situation as far as this year's production. I mean, every year we kind of go through this little uh, uh, exercise of do the good areas uh, overcome the, the, the bad areas as far as uh, production estimates are concerned. So what are you thinking this year with such a big swath of the Dakotas and parts of Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, that have been struggling so long, which it looks much better in the eastern Corn Belt. Uh, do those uh, are those good areas good enough to overcome what losses we might see in the other areas? You know, I think that the good areas are awfully good in places. For instance, where I'm at, you know, we could be looking at uh, record type yields if Mother Nature cooperates over the next four or five weeks. Uh, you know, the problem is that obviously not everyone is in the exact same situation, even in the good states. Uh, but you've got to try to handicap a crop that's got areas, uh, as you suggested, you know, in the northwestern Corn Belt, in uh, upper part, you know, in the Minnesota and Wisconsin, that some of those folks are looking at greatly reduced yields. I think even if you get, you get some rain to come through here. Now, if you spoon feed a crop that's been hurt, uh, yeah, you can probably resuscitate it somewhat, but you're going to have to continually spoon feed it. So my personal opinion on like national yield, for instance, right now is that it's going to be tough for us to go ahead and set a new record, you know, unless we get a steady dose of rainfall throughout the corn belt from here on out. Talking with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. And we're looking, when you look at the whole total picture, uh, they're still having trouble with that uh, uh, corn crop in uh, South America. Yeah, I mean, the estimates just continue to come down for, for the Supreme crop. You know, obviously, they had a lot of issues with drought. You come in here, 
you know, and you still have got some uh, green corn that basically gets frosted, uh, going to certainly cause issues whenever it comes to test weight, uh, quality issues as far as feeding that corn. Uh, you know, and so there's definitely a lot of issues in and around that uh, Sophia crop. Now, I guess uh, the, the tough thing uh, for most of us to try to figure out is how, what is the impact going to be as far as exports concerned? You know, you see China come in here and say, hey, uh, maybe we can feed a couple million less tons of corn. Uh, some of the folks are saying that maybe their dependence on corn won't be as strong as what they previously thought. But at the same time, I'm not so sure that whenever they see less corn in the, uh, available in the world, that they're trying to maybe uh, lower their cost of buying that corn on down the road. So uh, I'm not totally sure I agree with uh, uh, with that concept. I mean, they're, they're continuing to expand their uh, their hog production uh, rapidly. And so with that being the case, you know they're going to need feed grains, they're going to need soybean meal. Uh, they're going to need a whole lot of products, but quite frankly, they've been running a deficit on growing their own. Matt, what are your thoughts on our soybean crop? It got planted in many places early, but it got off to a slow start. You know, it did. And, it, you know, it got planted plenty early. Some of the beans were flowering uh, whenever we wanted to get them flowering, you know, by the maximum sunlight date. And uh, I think that the bean crop looks good. I don't know about great. Obviously, this is an August crop. You know, a lot of the indications that we're going to turn off dry towards the end of the summer, but shoot. If anyone's guessed there, it, it's hard to figure that out. We all know that uh, forecasting weather is a pretty tough thing to do. I guess at this stage of the game, I think that this bean crop has the potential to be a 50-plus crop pretty pretty handily. we got to remember, there's a lot of beans planted in the ice states this year, which typically are going to be higher production areas. And I think it gives you the opportunity to maybe have a little better soybean yield you know, than what some folks might have guessed originally. But I, I like the prospects of a big bean crop. We just need a really good August. You know, what's really a big unknown, we've talked about the Eastern Corn Belt being pretty good and the concern about the Northwestern uh, uh, Midwest, but you got a state like Iowa, such a huge production state, and they, they're kind of a mixed bag, aren't they? No question. You know, we talked to a lot of producers in Iowa that just don't seem to catch the rain anytime that one of these systems runs through. You know, and so there's parts of Iowa that are having trouble. Then, you know, you look at some parts of Iowa, I mean, like, um, you know, you see and uh, talk to agronomists that say there's stretches that are as good as they've ever been. And so I do think that there's going to be some really good corn come out of Iowa, but at the same time, I don't think that it's all that good. I mean, uh, you've got some uh, areas that are still showing up pretty pretty heavily on the national drought monitor, and you know that whenever you get in that situation, well, you have to have it once again. You have to have a steady dose of rain. And so with it being such a high uh, uh, consumption area, and I want you really need to have a big crop there, especially after last year. Yep, and the focus has been and continues to be, of course, on weather. But now we're also now looking at insect pressures. I know around me in West Central Illinois, starting to see the uh, the planes in the air, the aerial applicators are going. So uh, that's the next challenge too. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's you know the interesting thing, you know, whenever you look, fungicide uh, is probably something most people are going to be pretty interested in, especially after all that rain that we had, you know, here in the last couple of weeks. Now, uh, fungicide, uh, insecticide, no question. A lot of people on soybeans in the last couple of years seem to have went for the ground rigs a little more just to get a little more coverage, uh, you know, because uh, uh, typically the ground rigs, you get a lot of more water uh, sprayed on the plant and uh it just seems to work okay. Uh, for us personally, we used ground legs last year, and it worked really well. But 
I think there's no question that with these prices, you've got to expect that producers are going to try to get every bushel they can possibly get this year. All right. So when you're talking with farmers uh, about their marketing plans, what are you what are you telling them here with uh, these volatile markets? Okay. So you're looking at these corner five thirty nine and three quarters down the limit. Can you, if we close like this, can we expect more down tomorrow? Yeah, of course. But most people in Central Illinois can still get safely above five dollar cash corn for fall. If that's the case, and you're looking at a kind of crop that you're looking at in your neck of the woods, and I'm looking at in my neck of the woods, it's really tough not to go ahead and make sales and get to a pretty healthy percentage sold. Where it gets trickier is the folks that are are really worried about production yet and are in drier areas. It's tough to get super aggressive in that situation because you don't want to get something sold and then have to buy it back at a higher price. But by all means, I'm at a good solid 50% of production for those that are buying crop insurance. And if a person wanted to push that just a little more, I understand it. But we got to keep in mind we're early in the marketing year. Very similar as far as soybeans are concerned, uh, but maybe just a little bit less due to the fact that we know it's an August crop. I don't want to get too carried away. So if I'm going to base uh, 50%, you know, I might be doing that on average production history instead of uh, what I'm expecting for yield. Right now, my expectation for corn yield from my farm is quite a bit higher than what my APH is. Got a lot of farmers, though, saying it doesn't matter how high the prices are if you don't have anything to sell, right? And that they're concerned just about producing a crop in a lot of those areas. Absolutely, and that's why it's different for everyone. You know, and so for a producer who is blessed, you know, with a full soil moisture profile, there's no question that they should approach it a little bit differently than, for instance, a grower in, you know, northwestern Iowa or South Dakota who can't seem to buy rain. So, uh, you know, some of those folks I certainly understand to make. There's always the ability whenever we're looking at uh, multi-year highs, you know, uh, which we've, we've seen here in the last few weeks, you know, to go ahead and put a floor into the market, though. I mean, you could still put a floor into the market on a day like today. Now, buying a put's not going to be cheap because we're down the limit. But at the same time, uh, we've had ample opportunities and still do uh, to put a floor at levels significantly higher than what we've sold uh, corn these last several falls anyway. All right, Matt, good to talk with you. We'll watch for those uh, crop uh, condition numbers, those crop ratings, and I know the markets will be watching those closely too. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. All right, up next, USDA is going to conduct a top-to-bottom review of product of the USA meat labels. What does that mean? What might come from that? We will get reaction from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Danielle Beck with NCBA joins us next as we talk meat labels. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... (laughs) Hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. 
I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And today, we're joined by Kaylin Griffin, CHS Grain Merchandiser, with updates on this year's wheat crop. Kaylin, let's start uh, looking at the winter wheat crop. Uh, harvest underway, uh, a lot of weather challenges. How, is, how have those weather challenges impacted this crop? Yeah, it's been uh, dry in many areas. That's definitely drawn the attention of the markets lately. Uh, but mostly the winter wheat crop uh, overall is in relatively good shape. And I say that uh, relatively good shape because the southern plains in the southeastern U.S., where most of the hard red and soft red winter wheat crops are grown, those areas have received, uh, received timely moisture to support growing conditions this year. So as harvest progresses, uh, we're seeing some really nice yields out there. And those producers are benefiting from good prices as they bring in the harvest. So let's look at the big picture, the global picture, look at export demand and stocks. Uh, how will those support prices, you think, for U.S. wheat growers? We're coming off a year that saw increased global export demand for grains, and that really started last fall when China increased their buying pace, and they really continued that throughout the year. So heading into the new crop cycle, we've still got commodity prices near recent highs. We've seen global buying back off a little bit as everyone slows down, takes a look at the production potential for this upcoming harvest. And right now, the main support for a continuation in these strong wheat prices seems to be how the rest of the growing season might play out in the corn markets. Uh, the wheat market is sensitive to a potential drop in corn production this year. Like we stated earlier, many areas have been dry, so that would lead to the possibility of increased uh, wheat demand if the corn production just isn't there. So we're looking at uh, the potential for, you know, an increase in domestic and global wheat feeding. So that's that's giving some optimism that another year of strong export demand could be in the cards for, for U.S. wheat growers. That's Kalen Griffin, CHS Grain Merchandiser. Thanks for joining us around the table Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Krista Harden, president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, 
we know it was challenging to be able to do much uh, market development work during the pandemic. And as we are coming out of it to varying degrees around the world, how is that going now in, in getting back up and going again in some of these markets? We had to really think about how we're going to do things differently. Um, we not, are not going to trade shows. We're not having the you know face-to-face getting to know, building that trust, working on that reputation. So all of us, I think, in the industry and across agriculture really had to think differently. I'm pretty proud of how quickly we changed and started working with folks, some of us with Zoom, some of us with other types of you know, cooking demonstration programs, working with students, culinary students, doing our programs, developing partnerships um, in a virtual way, but being constant. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Last week, Ag Secretary Vilsack said USDA would conduct a top-to-bottom review of the product of the USA label to help the department determine what that label means to consumers, among other things. USDA planning to launch a rulemaking process after a study of the issue which Vilsack says the department will be considering all ideas suggested by the whole range of stakeholders, including our trading partners, with whom we will engage to ensure that this labeling initiative is implemented in a way that fulfills our commitment to working cooperatively with our trade partners and meeting our international trade obligations. So a lot there. Let's talk about it with Danielle Beck. Senior Executive Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Danielle, thanks for joining us. First of all, your reaction to this investigation, this uh, this review, if you will, that the USDA is going to conduct. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. You know, NCBA believes the current product of USA label stands as a, a disservice to American consumers and cattle producers alike. You know, the claim implies that a beef product is entirely of U.S. origin, when in reality, we know that imported beef products are eligible to be labeled as product of USA under the current system as it stands at USDA. And it's something that we've been working at uh, at NCBA to address for several years now. And we're really excited that USDA is moving in the right direction. I think there's a lot of work to be done. We're looking forward to engaging in that process moving forward. But again, this is a really positive first step. It sounds, though, like it could be a a lengthy process because when you're bringing in all stakeholders, and he said a whole range of stakeholders, including our trading partners, you're going to have a lot of voices, a lot of people at the table on this. You know what? Sometimes that's what makes the best type of process. So, you know, we don't want to see mistakes of the past repeated, Mike. Uh, Instead of focusing on some of those unsuccessful ideas, we must approach this issue through reforms that are ultimately going to enable producers to capitalize on consumer demand. And we think a top-to-bottom review really makes sense to that end. We also want to make sure that whatever changes are made are trade-compliant. Excuse me. We value our, our trading relationships, particularly those with our North American trading partners. And so whatever reforms happen, we need to make sure that they're ultimately prioritizing both consumer uh, preference and consumer demand and producer profitability at the same time. The existing generic label does neither, uh, and so we're hopeful that 
through this collaborative, constructive process, we'll be able to get to a much better place. But you're right. I mean, the sausage making process in D.C. does take time. But uh, as you said, learn from mistakes of the past. I mean, we're, we're trying to f- find a label that will satisfy American consumers who feel frustrated by this, not knowing exactly what they're getting. U.S. producers have been frustrated by uh, the labeling. And when we had country of origin labeling, that got us in trouble with our trading partners. So you got you got a lot of people here to try to make happy. Absolutely. But you know what? The product of USA label is really interesting because it's a generically approved voluntary label. It's something that I think folks just slap on a package because they can. It's very broadly applied. Uh, and it really doesn't provide a whole lot of meaning. It's also not source verified. It's not based in food safety. Um, it, you know, it just sort of exists. And so NCBA submitted a petition last month to eliminate product of USA and other broad U.S. origin labeling claims that are moved through that generic labeling track. We want to see it replaced with something like processed in USA. And so that way, if retailers, packers, want to use a generic label there's something a little bit more appropriately descriptive processed in usa means that it moves through a u.s processing facility that's inspected by fsis uh food safety and service uh inspection service employees but is not necessarily born raised and harvested um you know again generic claims don't deliver premiums if you were to move over to something like a the agricultural marketing services process verified program label um beef producers, cattle producers on farm would have the opportunity to realize meaningful premiums and meet all sorts of demand that we're seeing, um, you know, the countryside from consumers, whether it's something that's uh, hyper local or, you know, regionally produced. um, You know, there are a ton of different preferences out there. PVPs that are source verified to uh, meet all of those demands and then some, and they actually deliver benefits back to the people that are raising the beef and working hard to do so. And so we think that, you know, these reforms, there's a way to thread that needle and reform what is an outdated label that doesn't exist or doesn't doesn't get us there. It doesn't uh, deliver premiums or benefits back to producers um, without sort of, you know, violating any of our existing trade ag- agreements, figuring out a, a a labeling process and program that works for the majority. So you think a label that says processed in the USA, does that does that resonate with most consumers in this country? I think I think once they look at USA, then they assume that that meat comes strictly from the US. I I I'm not it just seems like it's going to be hard to find that label that, you know, meets the needs or the desires of everyone involved here. No, absolutely. I think we'd like to see folks move away from labels like processed in USA. But if you want to use something, we think processed in USA is a more truthful description. But again, it's a generically approved and applied label that doesn't deliver any benefits back to producers. You know, it's that the wording on that black and white sticker on a a meat product in the grocery store. You know, it's not something that a lot of folks are paying attention to. We want source-verified, auditable claims that are actually delivering benefits back to our producers. You know, we looked at a recent report, uh, and through USDA's PVP program, one of the leading, uh, you know, sort of purveyors of those PVPs for beef products, they've helped producers realize premiums anywhere from $6 to $23 a head. Um, That's a tremendous amount of benefit, and it's because there is consumer demand for those specific claims that are auditable they are verified, and they carry the PVP shield on that product. 
you know, I think if you look at the the myriad of demand out there, there are going to be consumers who just want to buy whatever's most affordable. But there's also a tremendous amount for uh, some of those more specialized labeling claims. All right. It's going to be an interesting process, and we'll be following it. Danielle, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right. Danielle Beck with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. That wraps it up for today. Thank you for joining us. Hope you'll be with us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.